Grab a seat, if you will, and grab your Bibles. You may also want to grab your Mark journal and turn with me over to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 will begin in just a moment in verse 32. Mark chapter 10 and verse 32. Now, before we get into that, I just want to welcome you all here. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here, and if you are a guest, welcome. We are so glad that you're a part of our family today here at Clear Creek Church of Christ. And as we celebrate Jesus, I want to welcome everyone who is joining us in the cafe as well as online. You need to know that every week there are people both who are a part of our body as well as those who are uh, not locally a part who join us online, maybe later in the week or live. And So as we gather here, it's a beautiful thing to know that we get to gather digitally with people around the world and to be able to encourage and be encouraged by one another. I want to begin this morning with an obvious statement, but one I think we all can agree on, and here it is. Most people, in fact, all people, have the ability to miss the obvious things from time to time. I'll say it again. We as people have the ability to miss the obvious from time to time. How many of you men maybe have gone to the kitchen, opened the kitchen door there to the fridge and you're looking for something and your wife has already told you it is in there and you're looking and you're like, honey, I'm looking. It ain't here. How many of you have ever had that moment? Okay, let's see some hands followed with and ladies, I want some hands for you here. And then the wives say, you are looking right at it. How many of you ladies can say, I mean, it's just like right there. In fact, it's not just us, but it's the legendary duo of Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Situation happened with them. They were going on an overnight camping trip. And as they are asleep, Holmes wakes up and he nudges Watson awake. And he says, Dr. Watson... Look up at the sky and tell me what you see. He looks up and he sees stars. He says, well, Sherlock, I see millions and millions of stars. Sherlock says, well, what do you infer from that? And Wadden says, well, a number of things. Grabbing his pipe, he lights and he begins to pontificate. He says, well, astrologically, it shows me that there are billions and billions of stars and galaxies and planets. Chronologically, I deduce that the time is approximately 3.15 a.m. in the morning. Meteorologically, I expect that the weather will be fair and clear, and theologically, it shows me that God is big, all-powerful, and that man, his creation is small and very weak. That's what I observe What do you see, Sherlock? And he responds, Watson, you idiot. Someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) Now, some of you, it's going to take a little while. A little later you go, oh, that's how they could see the stars. Okay, okay, we got it. (laughs) But we have the ability to miss the obvious, don't we? And it's not just in things when it comes to camping or stars or food in the fridge. It happens When it comes to following Jesus, we often focus so much on the minutiae, we miss the obvious big point. And in the passage today, Jesus does not want us to miss the big point. In fact, he's going to say, hey, all the things that you're learning in church, it's good stuff, but don't miss the point. 
All the stuff that you were taught growing up in Sunday school, it's good stuff, but don't miss the big point. If you're a guest with us, maybe you don't yet ascribe to this. Maybe you're kicking the tires of faith. First off, this is the best place you could be to explore faith. You ask questions, and if we have answers, we'll give them to you. If we don't have answers, we will say we'll find them for you. But this is the right place to be. But for you, chances are you've heard some of these things, or you've heard what Christians believe, or what Christians talk about, or what Christians think, and you may be wondering as well, well, what is the big thing? Like, what's the main thing? And Jesus is going to show us the main thing, because he doesn't want us to miss the big point. And because I don't want us to miss the big point from the passage we're going to look at, I want to begin with a key verse, which is the last verse. This is Mark. Chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man, that's just a title he uses for himself, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but, say these words, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, in effect, his mission, his way of life, when he wakes up, when he goes to bed, when he's making his plans, it's simply this. He is here. He came to serve and save. That's it. End of story. Go home. He came to serve. No, don't really go home. But, you know, stick around for a few more minutes. He came to serve and to save. This is what it's all about. This is the big idea. But because we have a way of forgetting it, he's going to now unpack this for us. And I want to be incredibly practical today. I want you to walk away this morning both with seeing what it looks like to live the Jesus way of life, and I'm going to give you at the end three questions that you can ask to begin that process this week in a very practical, tangible way. So let's begin because Jesus doesn't start here, he ends here. We're going to begin though in verse 32, and if you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen behind me. This is what we read. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. By the way, when you see it say up to Jerusalem, you think, now wait a minute, they're going from north to south. Why are they going up? Well, Jerusalem was built up in elevation. So no matter from which direction you came, you're always going up to Jerusalem. So Jesus and his followers were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Look at this next verse. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. So he's about to predict how he is going to save us. He came to serve and to save, and he's going to describe that salvation process. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, again, just a title for himself from the Old Testament, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Think the leaders of a church. They will condemn Jesus, condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now stay right there for a moment. Jesus is saying, this is how I have come to save. I will give my life, die on a cross, be buried, and on the third day, rise again. That is how we are saved from our sins. If you are not clear on this, salvation is a gift from God purchased by Jesus on the cross, and it is freely given to anyone who will simply accept him, demonstrating faith in baptism, saying, I want what you've got, and he gives it to you. That is how this works. Now, think about this. Jesus, 
has just poured out his heart to his friends. Have you ever had a moment where you were very vulnerable with a person? You don't have to raise your hand, but think with me for a moment. Have you ever had a moment, maybe you were talking to a friend or a spouse, or maybe you were talking to a parent or someone, and, and as soon as you finished, you had an ideal response in mind of what they will say, right? It's like, I've just shared what I'm feeling. I've shared what I'm going through. Now this is your moment to just come on with some love, right? In fact, that's how I expect these guys to respond. I mean, the right response at this moment, Jesus just said, guys, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to go and I'm going to be murdered. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to do this because I love you. It's like that moment when my wife told me that she loved me. And I've told you this before. She finally said, I love you. And I looked at her and I went, thank you. It was a bad moment. That is not what you say. And so I'm expecting these guys in this moment to do something. They're going to say, oh, my goodness, Jesus, that is so hard. That's terrible news. What, what can we do to help? Um, can, can we pray with you? Uh, and by the way, when we pray, do we pray Father or do we pray Jesus? To, I mean, how, we'll pray or do you, do you just need a hug, Jesus? What can we do for you? In fact, I think the phrase, the one that kind of captures what I think and would expect is simply this, for them to basically say something like, look, I'm here for you. I may not be able to fix the problem, but I am here for you. Whatever I've got, you have. I'm here for you. But for those of you who are familiar with the story, is that what they say? And the whole church said, nope. Look what they say here. Then James and John, these are, by the way, two of Jesus' closest of the twelve disciples and apostles. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, wait a minute. He just said, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need something. Can you help us out, Jesus? They say, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Now, Jesus is smart. Have you ever, parents, have you ever had your child or Friends, have you ever had someone come to you and say, hey, I want to ask something of you, but before I do, I want you to agree to do it before I tell you? What is the wise thing to do at that moment? What do you want? Tell me first, and then we'll discuss. And so that's what Jesus does. Look at the next slide. He says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let, I mean, this is just a small request, Jesus, not a big deal. Let one of us sit at your right And the other at your left in your glory. Meaning, Jesus, you're going to have a throne. You're going to have a seat of power. And all we want, it's just a small thing. We just want to sit on your right side and your left side. I mean, it's not a big deal. Just when you're making the seating chart, would you put J and J? Just right next to you. Just a little thing, Jesus. And and, and get this. They just don't get it. Instead of having an I'm here for you kind of an attitude, the Jesus way of life says I'm here for you, they are exhibiting a me way of life which says you're here for me. There are only two kinds of ways to live, family. You don't get a third option. Option A is I'm here for you. Whatever I've got, you can have. I'm here for you. But the me way of life, the one that dominates our culture, our media, our city, is the one that says, you are here for me. Whatever you've got, I want. Whatever you can give, I need. If I can leverage my friendship with you to get a better job, I will. If I can find a way to position myself 
I will, even if it's at your expense, because the me way of life says you exist for me. But the Jesus way says, no, I'm here for you. Now, it's not just James and John who get in on the action. Mark has a very tight narrative. He doesn't include all the details, but Matthew includes some additional juicy tidbits. In fact, we're told that James and John don't come by themselves in Matthew's account. Rather, they bring their mommy. I'm not making this up. James and John, two grown men, when they come to Jesus and say, this is what we want, it's not really even they who are asking. Rather, according to Matthew... It is their mother who comes and asks for their sons. Here's what it says. This is Matthew 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, mama's boys, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor. What is it you want? He asked. Grant that one of these two sons of mine, my little boys, they're so special. They are little, they're snowflakes of individuality. They are wonderful little boys. Grant that these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Again, Jesus, not a big deal. Just would you do that for me? Now, here's the other thing that we don't get. Now, hang on, hang on. One thing we don't get here, and stay on this slide. One thing we don't get is that Jesus actually has a relationship with James and John's mom. Did you know that she is one of Jesus' relatives? We get this from the crucifixion accounts. I want you to see this because this simply complicates things. How many of you have ever found family to be a wee bit complicated? Quick, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't do it. Just leave them down, okay? But notice what it says here. This is in Matthew Hang on, let me go back. Matthew 27 says this, talking about the crucifixion. Many women were there watching from a distance at the crucifixion of Jesus. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among the women were one, Mary Magdalene. She's the one who'd been possessed by many demons, but Jesus healed her. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, that is not James and John. This is a different Mary. And the mother of Zebedee's sons. This is James and John's mom. So you have Jesus's mom, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and then the mother of Zebedee's sons, four women. Now, who is this woman? We get more information in Mark and John's account. In Mark, we're told some women were there, and among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mom mom of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. This is her name. So now we're given her name. She's not some nameless woman, but the wife of Zebedee is Salome. And we're told, well, what else can we find out? Well, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, so Mary, wife of Joseph, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, which would have been the mother of James and Joseph, and Mary Magdalene. So we are told that this is Jesus And now, quick question for you. How do you think that conversation went when Jesus' aunt shows up and says, Jesus, we're family. Come on, you know me. I'm your your favorite aunt. I'm your aunt Salome. I mean, we've been together for so long. I mean, I remember watching you grow up. I babysat you, Jesus. And, and, you know, when other people said things about your weird birth, I didn't say anything. I just, I doted on you. And by the way, I changed your diaper. So you might want, come on, I'm a big fan. 
And Jesus, you talked in Matthew 19, you talked about giving all these 12 a throne of gold apiece that they get to rule with you. And by the way, we haven't really thought of anything else other than for sitting on thrones of gold. And, and, and since we know you'll be there, you're going to have thrones on each side. Could you just, just, how about one on each side? We'll just keep this in the family. How about that, Jesus? See, it's interesting to me, this woman who knew Jesus so well, and it's not, just, it's not just her, it's these boys as well, it's people who've been close to Jesus, they still don't get the obvious point. And isn't it interesting that it is possible to be with Jesus for a long, long, long time without becoming like Jesus? It is possible to be with Jesus without becoming like Him, where we are focused on what we want. You exist for me. Instead of, I'm here for you. It is possible. Now, I want to say something here. If you're just starting your journey of faith, or maybe you're kicking the tires of faith, I just want to say this. Becoming like Jesus, there are some things that are good, but they do not in and of themselves make you like Jesus. Coming to church is a good thing, true or false, church. (laughs) Not a true question. She's going... We are the church. Okay, fair enough. We'll just kind of, we have Bible scholars here. Okay. Coming to this building on Sunday is a good thing, true or false? Okay, we can go there, okay? So it is true that it is good, but does coming here, sitting for an hour, trying not to fall asleep or think about what you're going to eat for lunch, mm, that does not necessarily make you like Jesus, does it? Reading your Bible is a good thing. But in and of itself, if you simply read it but do not do what it says according to the book of James, then you are still not becoming like Jesus. Praying, it is a wonderful thing to do. Talking to God, sharing your heart, letting him speak to you, work with you. It is a wonderful thing. But if you do not act on what he prompts you to do, you will not become like Jesus. Coming to church does not make you a Christ follower. It makes you a church attender. Praying does not make you a Christian. It makes you someone who simply prays. Reading your Bible does not make you a disciple of Jesus. There are many scholars who do not believe in Jesus who are experts in what the Bible says. It is possible to be with Jesus without becoming like Jesus. And so... Jesus responds to their meager request with this statement. Go to the next slide there, please. It says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup? And he's going to use two metaphors here to describe something. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He's using two different metaphors. The first one is of drinking. The other one is of baptism. The first one comes from the Old Testament, speaking of the wrath of God, the punishment of God, the justice of God filling up a cup or a bowl that would be poured out on those who have sinned, and yet Christ is going to drink all of it in himself. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he pray? If there's any way, take this cup from me, God. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And then he says, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, the word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. Everyone say baptizo. Good job. Baptizo means to cover, to bury, to immerse. He is saying that the punishment for our sins, for all that we have done, is not simply something that's going to come in him. It is going to 
bury him. Can you do that, he asks. And then, of course, they respond. Look at this. We can, they answer. I love how they don't know what they're talking about, but they're, oh, yes, we can do that. Jesus said to them, you're right, you will drink the cup and be baptized in the way I am because he is prophesying now that they're going to come to a place of living the Jesus way of life so much, loving, leading, living, serving, saving, that they will end up giving their lives for others. James is going to be the first of the 12 apostles to be martyred for his faith. He will be beheaded by Herod. And then John, the other brother, will be the last to die for his faith of the 12 apostles. They will try to kill him by burning him alive in a pot of boiling oil. But when that doesn't kill him, they will exile him to a concentration camp island called Patmos. He says, yeah, you're right. But he then says this, notice this. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant, meaning it's not my decision. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, no one knows for sure who those people are. Some theologians think it's those who have suffered the most for Christ will sit closest to Christ, which honestly, since I live where I live, when I live, I know I'm going to be somewhere down in the back 40. But just to be there will be a great day, won't it? But I do want you to understand that the level to which we commit to following and loving and leading and serving and saving, all of us will get to be in heaven if we follow Christ, but we will not all experience it the same way. That is determined by how we live the Jesus way of life today. And so he says, when the 10 heard about this, the other 10, they're listening and of course... They've got a mama showing up saying all this. When the 10 heard about this, they became, say this word with me, indignant. Everyone, can you, can you kind of take your little finger out? Grab your finger, ready? And just turn to someone and give a good little finger wag. Show them what, I mean, just a little finger wag here. This is one of those moments. Indignant is not strong enough of a word. This is, I can't believe you scuzzballs. That, that's in the original Greek, by the way. <clears throat> They were indignant because, after all, I want to sit at that seat, not you, me. Because, after all, you're here for me. I'm not here for you, they're thinking. So Jesus grabs them and he circles them up. He says, okay, let's just chat. Let's have a little conversation here. And notice what he does. He says, I want you to see the difference between my way of life and the me way of life. The Jesus way and the world's way. And he says this. Jesus called them together and said, you know... You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's saying, listen, from the beginning of time, from Pharaoh to Caesar to modern-day political leaders, it is all about their power, their position, their prestige, their pleasure. It's, I'm not here for you, you're here for me. In fact, church, when was the last time we heard any political candidate who said nice things about people with whom they disagree versus attacks? It's always, they're here for me, we're not here for them. We're going to destroy them. We're going to crush them. We're going to win. We're going to whatever. And it doesn't matter which side you're on. But Jesus says, this is how the world works. It is everyone to help me. But he says, I want you to see the way it's supposed to be. Look at this. Not so with you. 
If you're with me, Jesus says, if you are a part of his family, if you claim to be a part of the body of Christ, he says, that's the world's way, but you have left that way and stepped into my way that says, I'm here for you. Whatever I've got, it's yours. Whatever you need, if I can meet it, I will. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great, and I love this. Notice he doesn't say it's bad to want to be great, by the way. He just says, but whoever wants to, let me show you where true greatness lies. Anyone who wants to be great among you must be your, look at this word, servant. Servant, that's the word diakonos, diakonos. We get our churchy word deacon from this word servant. Now, when we hear the word deacon, most of us think of something with power and authority, but that's not what they thought. When they heard the word that someone was a deacon in the church, they thought of someone who did menial labor. That's why here at Clear Creek, our deacons are called special servants because they are willing and they want and they do live the way of Jesus. They are servant leaders. And Jesus says, if you want to be great, you be like, well, you be like the servant leaders in this church. You be like those who say, I'm here for you. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. He goes on to say, and whoever wants to be first must be, what's this word? What's this word, everybody? Slave. It's the word doulos, slave. And a slave, I looked up that word in Greek. Do you know what the word slave means? Slave. I know, this is incredible. If you want to be first, you must be a slave. To whom? To some people? To to those who are nice to you? To family members, because they can do something back, or mom will guilt you if you don't. To neighbors, because that one day they let you borrow their, you know, their, their, their push mower, because yours broke, or whatever it is. Or maybe, oh, I know, it's, it's to just church people. We're to be slaves just to church people, because after all, we're going to spend eternity with them, and we don't want them to carry a grudge into eternity. And so, so it's just for some, right? No. He says the way of Jesus is that we say, I'm here for all of you. In fact, let's just do this real fast. Turn to your neighbor real quick. And will you just say this? Say, I'm here for you. Go ahead to your neighbor. I'm here for you. Now go ahead, turn to your other neighbor, your second choice neighbor, and tell them that you're also here for them. This is what Jesus is calling us to, family. To not simply with words, but with deeds and lifestyle to say, I want to be like Jesus. He's going this way. I'm going to follow him. And he says, this is how you live. He came to serve and save. I'm here for you. And by the way, I'm here for you. You're here for each other. We're here for one another. And by the way, we are here for all of them out there. This would be a great time for an amen. This is why we're here. Now, let me give you three questions real quick. And we'll be about ready to call it a day. I want you to see real quickly here, just a way to practically get started this week. Here's the first thing. As you think about the way of Jesus, go ahead, if you will, advance the slide for me. To live the, life, the, the Jesus way of life, question number one is simply this. Ask yourself, who is someone I know who is going through a hard time? Maybe even want to, just to, want to omit the word hard time and just say, who is someone I know who could use help? 
Or maybe you're, you're going, well, you know what? I, I'm not even sure about that. Maybe you should just start with this question. Who is someone I know? Question mark. Chances are, if you will observe, you will see what they need eventually. By the way, isn't it interesting that me-centered people don't see the needs of other people? Jesus tells them what, they're go- what he's about to go through, and all they can think about is what they're going to get. But people who live the Jesus way of life, me, nope, you, yep, I'm here for you. Those kind of people are self-aware. They see other people. By the way, if you want to be a serving person, you have to be willing to see other people. So the first question is, who's someone I know who's going through a hard time? This week, um, on Friday of this week, my wife's grandfather looks like he had a stroke. So she went up. She's now with him. I got a call a little later. My mom and dad who've had a dog for 16 plus years. This dog is awesome. In fact, when my younger sister Mary was uh, house-sitting once, a guy tried to break in the front door. He was drunk. And so the dog saved my sister. I mean, so this dog was awesome. Well, the dog is 16 years old, and in dog years, that's like dead. And so the dog died, and so they're hurting. Now you say it's just a dog. I get that. But there are people around you today who you know who need help. You say, yeah, but, but it's so beneath me. Listen, a servant is one who does menial labor. Who is someone around you who needs help? Let's go real quickly. Number two here. Ask yourself next, how will I meet their need this week? So what I'd say is put a name and then put a need. You just put the name and then put the need. Very simple, name, need, and then you just say, this is how I'll fix it this week. And then the third thing is simply this, ask God, ask God, how can I leverage my service to share my faith? Because here's the deal, if you go and build a ramp for someone at their home who can't walk anymore, if you go and you simply provide a means of transportation, but you never share your faith, you're simply making them comfortable for hell. I want to be very clear about this. Service without sharing your faith is insufficient. Jesus said that he came to serve and notice this. Next slide, last slide, here we go. And to give his life as a ransom for many. He served, he gave so that he could then live a life-giving life, death and resurrection. This word ransom, when we hear this, we think about someone who's being held hostage. And it's not a bad word, and bad understanding, but let me give you the better one. In their time, when they heard the word ransom, they thought of a slave. And a slave would have the right to buy him or herself back from slavery. But the money was incredible, and they could hardly ever, ever, ever save up enough that the boss would give them enough that they could slowly, over time, buy back their freedom. It was the ransom price to get them out of slavery. And it rarely happened. In fact, the only times that it really would ever happen is if someone from the outside seeing the plight of this person, this slave, took pity on the slave and said, you cannot pay the price. I will pay it for you. And so Jesus did not look out from a campsite at the stars, but he looked down from heaven itself and he saw you, he saw me, and he said, here's what I observe. I see a people who are in desperate need of love. I see a people who cannot save themselves. I see a people who are drowning in despair, in doubt. 
They have given themselves over to things that will not satisfy. They have given up on what is true. I see a people who need saving but cannot save themselves. And so Jesus left his home. He came. He served. He saved. He died. He rose. And he says, now you can be a part of this if you want to follow me. In other words, Jesus simply said, I'm here for you. 